So last week, um, I didn't get all the way through what I wanted to share around right effort. Um, so this is a continuation of the Eightfold Path and looking at the meditation factors of right effort, right mindfulness, and right concentration, or the old Pali word, uh, samadhi. And we'll talk just a little bit about samadhi, um, but mostly around right effort and right mindfulness um, for today. These are named the meditation factors um, um, as they relate to our formal practice. But in, um, in my life, you know, they relate to everything. And so I'm probably going to talk about them more from the standpoint of in, in a life than from meditation itself. But the reality is meditation, a formal meditation practice is in some ways the needed groundwork to have kind of this safe haven to understand and go deeper with the nervous system than we can when we are in this um, barrage of sensory overload um, um, going on in daily life. So just playing with the, in, the um, interweaving of these qualities uh, is very useful at all aspects, all levels. So we were talking about right effort. Uh, in the traditional way of looking at right effort, there are four main ways that this right effort or energetic will um, is applied to our life. Uh, uh, the first is to prevent unwholesome states of mind from arising. Uh, the second is to get rid of unwholesome states that have already arisen. The third is to produce or to cause to arise good and wholesome states of mind that have not yet arisen. And the fourth is to develop and bring to perfection the good and wholesome states of mind already present. So this framework might seem obvious. It's basically, um, you know, don't get caught up in the bad stuff. Or if you are caught up in the bad stuff, learn how to step away from it. Um, learn how to nurture the healthy healing stuff. Um, or if it's already here, how to, how to make it stronger. Uh, so it might, it might feel very obvious, but it's helpful to have this kind of framework spelled out. When our minds are foggy um, with some sort of stress or excitement or anxiety or worry or anything, or just um, uh, with fatigue um, or dullness, to be able to pull out a map um, um, to kind of like assess where am I in this moment now um, and, and how to access the energy to work with this place. Um, it's very, very useful. And when you hear these four steps, it's very clear that there is a particular discipline that we are called to in this practice of working with our minds. 
Um, um, and then sometimes this, this term right effort is even translated as right discipline. Uh, and that place of how we go about um, bringing a disciplined care to our minds, um, that's a place we really have to pay attention to because it's so easy for us to hear that word discipline and relate to it um, with a certain kind of harshness that's really not useful, not productive uh, in this practice. Um, you might hear particularly the first two, I am to prevent unwholesome states of mind from arising. I've got to put my mind on lockdown or um, I need to get rid of unwholesome states that have already arisen. Um, if I'm there and I see it, I have to, I have to take, you know, take back hold of the ship and, and get it out of those waters now. Uh, this word discipline, that's the typical way we relate to it in, in our culture is kind of a, a sort of a corrective, a stern corrective, or even the word, um, if you look at the definition, part of the definition um, is is to punish um, um, as part of what's what's commonly understood by that word. So if you look at relating to uh, this effort or this discipline from that standpoint, you know, look closely. It's really a form of self-rejection. Um, it's really simply another unwholesome state of mind. Um, which is aversion towards our own being, um, towards our own self. It's a form of self-violence uh, even. And going down that road, you know, maybe I can garner up a certain kind of discipline, rein myself in for a certain length of time, but I inevitably, I can say this with complete experienced um, knowledge, um, simply am spawning a whole nother set of problems when I relate in that way. So it's really important to understand that's not what this teaching is about. That's, that's, that's not, not the ground that we're even on when we're talking about an, a, a wise um, effort or, or discipline. There is nothing about repressing or forcing the mind in the right direction. What we're looking instead for is an attunement to what's here that naturally allows a different sort of healing to arise on its own. There's a whole nother set of definitions to the word discipline. It's actually, you, you leave out the first and turn to the second. It, it can be a, a beautiful word uh, if you think of disciple. Um, um, that's someone who follows from their deepest heart. Um, the root of the word is, is student, um, learner. Uh, and in that, in that way of learning from the heart, um, a student gave me a different, a student in one of my mindfulness classes years ago, gave me her personal 
definition of discipline that I've never forgotten. I, I use this often. Uh, the art of remembering what's most important to you. So I've shared uh, the, the Buddha's example of right effort, of tuning the lute string. Um, uh, it's worth hearing again and again because it's such a beautiful analogy. If you tune the lute string too tight, it breaks. If you tune it too loose, it doesn't make any music. It just sits there um, in a stagnant dullness. If you tune it just right, there is a natural resonance that's released that allows a completely different kind of music. What I didn't realize until this week um, was a context for that story. Um, um, so the story goes, there was a follower of the Buddha who had given up tremendous wealth in order to follow the Buddha um, um, and did it with this stern determination to reach enlightenment. And in his um, kind of ferocious determination to reach enlightenment, he practiced so hard that in walking meditation, he walked until the soles of his feet started to bleed. He got that far and he still hadn't achieved enlightenment. Uh, and he thought, what's the point? You know, I am pushing as hard as I can and I'm not getting anywhere. What is the point? I might as well give up and go back to, to my wealthy life that, you know, there was some reason he walked away from it in the first place, but at least that seemed better than the suffering that he was inflicting upon his own self in trying to reach enlightenment. And, and so the story goes, at that moment, the Buddha heard his thought of, I might as well give up, and went to him and shared the story of the lute, the lute string, um, to help him learn that it's not that walking till, your, till the soles of our feet bleed, and it's not giving up, that there's some place in the middle that's radically different um, and opens a whole different possibility. What's interesting is when we find that both strong and soft balanced place that has some natural attunement, we know it. We can feel it. Uh, and here's my guess, if each of us looks far enough, you can probably pull out some point in your life where there was an ease and a strength that was just available in a given moment. And I was thinking about this uh, yesterday, the example that came up to me the first time in my life that I knew I was in a different state of mind. And I'm sure as a child younger, I had experienced moments like this, but this was the first time I had like real conscious awareness of having moved myself into a different place. 
Uh, and it was when I was in eighth grade and my dad took me on my first backpacking trip. Um, we got out of the car, of course started pouring down rain uh, and, and the trail that we were gonna be on for the next few days um, started at the foot of a mountain and the biggest climb of all was um, of the whole three days was up the mountain. Having never held, you know, carried a backpack before, the pouring rain, um, you know, the, the mountain looming way up high, uh, I got, you know, I kind of like went into that determined efforting and like tried to throw myself up the mountain um, um, and wore out pretty darn quickly. Um, and I don't remember what my dad said. I don't remember his words at all, but I remember the, the invitation absolutely, uh, which was, we can do this a different way. All we need to do is take one step at a time and we can go as slow as we want. And there was something about the way he said it that really let me consciously be aware that I didn't have to battle the mountain. All I needed to do was one step and one step and one step. And it wasn't long before I really had found, I mean, we were snail pace slow, um, found a rhythm in that snail pace slow that was a balanced effort. It was mindful present moment awareness. And if you know the word samadhi, um, that, that third factor, it's really kind of pointing to a flow state. There's a very particular thing that can happen in deeply concentrated places in our mind um, in meditation that have this, this natural flow um, um, attunement to it. And we can feel that sort of flowness in other parts of our life. And that, that, that walk up that mountain absolutely had that for me. And I remember by the time I got to the top of the mountain, I felt like I could climb three more mountains without any issue. Um, that's, that's the attunement. That's great when it's something like backpacking out in the woods and, and, and even though it was raining and the pack was heavy, it was still, there was something very accessible about that moment for stepping in in that way. Um, that's maybe not so accessible when we're in the emotional mountains of our life, um, the emotional challenges. Um, um, the anxiety, the stress, the worry, the whatever that is. And it's the same process. It's that bite-sizing it down small enough, looking for the mindful attunement that opens up some positive energy that allows us to step and step and step and be with it. It's where we bring everything that we've talked about to training to this moment, you know, seeing into the suffering that's present, seeing into how our choices are, are, adding, are 
amplifying a, a certain kind of suffering that's there, a willingness to learn and know that, and then setting our intention to good wish, good compassion, strong care for our own being, and just noticing a different kind of energy um, that begins to arise out of that. And then the mindfulness is that willingness to see this moment just a little bit more clearly without judgment, take another step, bit by bit by bit by bit. The right effort gives us the energy to get this going. And then when we're lost in the muck, the compassionate tuning with mindfulness is what sets us in the direction towards the opening. I heard an analogy a long time ago, and I don't remember now where this came from. It was very useful, I think. Uh, and in this one, it's, you know, we know if we were to come across a wounded animal, um, it's very likely that the wounded animal um, would snarl at us if we tried to get close to help it. We can look at that animal and not only not judge the animal, but automatically have some availability of heart-wise understanding of, of its fear-based mind and snarling at us um, in that way. A lot of empathetic understanding of its pain and its fear, and therefore understand the level of wisdom and compassion that's needed to, to with great care, be able to step in and help the wounded animal. Somebody last night um, added another level of analogy. She talked about dog rescues. When they see the wounded dog who's snarling at them, the rescuers always throw food first, um, give nourishment to, to the, the wounded animal. Um, so that's really, when it's, when it's this challenge, difficult stuff, that's really what mindfulness is asking us to do, is bring that kind of wisdom and compassion to knowing how to meet the snarling places within our own self, um, the wounded places within our own self, understand how to see into the fear-based mind um, that's caught up in reactivity and survival-based reactivity, creating further difficult conditions for ourselves. And then learning those small, small, small steps that it takes to begin to meet that place with more and more care. Um, and when we need larger support than just ourself, um, when the wounds are at that place. So the last thing I wanna say is um, it's easier to, to find this right kind of effort um, attention, discipline, and mindfulness when we're really clear on what we want. I remember early in my practice, I could see how a calm, focused mind arising out of a disciplined practice was something I want, wanted and was something I didn't have. <laughs> um, um, that clarity of knowing that was what I wanted 
not beating myself up with that, but using that as the light to kind of shine, shine where, where I wanted to go. It was very helpful. And of course, once I really started to get a handle on that, first thing I did was like get way too tight. <laughs> I was like scrunching onto the practice, screwing those screws down. Uh, you know, and then I find that's not so useful and loosen up. And then I go all floppy and laugh and, you know, well, that's not getting me anywhere either. And, and it's all learning. It's about, about bit by bit learning. So what I can say now is that I definitely have a much calmer, much more focused mind than before. I know this serves my life and I want more. Um, it's still my light that gives the inspiration for shining on this, for this, this wish to relieve suffering in my own life in a way that allows me to show up um, how, I w how I wish with others. So I really invite you to, to get clear about what you want from the practice. Not, not the wish you want to beat yourself up with, but, but the light that gives you the inspiration. Um, what do you want out of this practice? So let's just pause here and take a moment um, And consider your own aspiration when you consider your practice. What do you really want from it? And what kind of practice is it going to take to get it? What kind of supports do you need for that practice? Thank you.